Today, I welcome a key element of the Shenmue music community to the dojo. Having gone and purchased their own musical equipment, including exact instruments or modules in some cases, uh, they have been working on creating backstories for lesser-known Shenmue NPCs with musical accompaniments. Not only that, they have a noodle standard NPC in Shenmue 3, contributed quite heavily to the Kickstarter, and have set up a school over in Guilin. My guests today are Joe and George Kitchen. George and Joe, welcome to the dojo on this fine Friday evening or Friday afternoon for where you are. How's it going? We are good. We're settling in. It's uh, been a long week. It's, uh, three o'clock here in Washington, D.C. Thanks for having us, Matt. No, thanks for coming on the show, both of you. I've, I've been looking to get on, get you guys on for quite some time, so we'll get straight into it. So my first question is one I do with everybody. I'm George, I'll come to you first on this one, is can you sort of give me a very quick rundown of sort of your gaming history and how you discovered Shenmue itself? Oh, well, uh, 1983, I would say, is where it started. We, uh, we, we had an Intellivision uh, from Mattel and uh, played our first Sega game on there too. It was called Zaxxon 3D, I believe. And uh, at the time, we didn't know who Sega was, but we became uh, obsessed with games at a very young age and we were gifted... Uh, a Sega Master System for Christmas, and we wanted a Nintendo Entertainment System like the other kids we know. And my father uh, got this system that was cheaper, and so we were disappointed and eventually started to fall in love with it and became Sega kids, and we defended Sega to the death with every kid from that point on up until we were uh, 20 years old. And uh, we had the Sega Genesis, Sega CD, Sega Saturn, and the Sega Dreamcast, and I would say that Saturn was our favorite system of our youth for, by far. And uh, as far as Shinmu, uh, I'm probably the one to speak on this because uh, our friend Ramsey, who we hadn't talked to in a couple of years, uh, we started becoming friends with him again. And he, he said, hey, I've got some uh, Dreamcast games and I don't play them. And so he gave us Shenmu, and he said he was bored with it and didn't, didn't want to play it. So... You know, I, I wasn't really big into gaming at the time, but I put it in and I started playing around with it, got confused and was opening drawers. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. So I put it away and uh, opened it again a couple of days later, started walking through the town, still wasn't quite sure, you know, what kind of game I was playing. Nowadays, the open world games are a dime a dozen. But for this one, it was a new concept for me. Uh, I just hadn't played anything like it before. And so Joe started watching me play and he started messing around with it. And uh, it was nighttime in the game. And that, if you remember the first night that it snows in the game, uh, it starts snowing late at night. I don't think it even sticks to the ground. But I remember sitting there looking up at the street light with the, where you could zoom in and watching the snowfall uh, through the light at, late at night. And I never felt so you know, in, in invested into a world of a video game like that before. And I remember that moment distinctly. And uh, it really stuck out to me as well. I've never experienced this before. This is really uh, so immersive. I've never, it's, it's so, it seems so subtle and simple at the same time. But um, that to me is where the game really, I fell in love with it. And, you know, and this is where we're at now. Fantastic. And Joe, what about you? Is it a very similar story? Well, for anyone who doesn't know, we are twins. So we experience things very similar. Uh, the, the difference between 
George and I is that he would often play the games and I would watch him play games, which is kind of strange, but it, that happened pretty much every game along the way. Uh, the, our, my favorite game that we played as kids was uh, a game called Conceden, which was, uh, again, when you're, we were poor kids and we were isolated a lot. Uh, and I think most gamers, when they're kids, you know, that's, that's very similar to a lot of people. And back in the Sega Genesis days, there was a lot of strange games about Japanese culture, and Conceding was one of those games, and it really got us into the mysticism of the culture. So we kept looking for those kind of games through all the systems, and and uh, I, I fell in love with, yes, George is right about the Sega Saturn. There's a game called Dark Savior that I, I absolutely loved because it had this isometric, like it wasn't 3D, but it was the closest uh, to 3D at the time. And so... Um, yeah, I just uh, RPGs and Japanese culture, and so Shamu is just obviously the the perfect fit. And my experience of the first time actually playing it myself, uh, it was just the fact that every object in in this house was unfamiliar to me. Like there's this '80s green fridge, but what is that weird white box next to it? And what are, what's that square food on the table? Well, that's you know tofu and. I'm like, oh, like this is so interesting, and, and it actually got me obsessed with culture, um, and that's in my life. I've actually traveled to quite a bit of uh, countries, and I became obsessed with learning not just about the Japanese culture, but by you know many cultures. And so, yeah, so Shimu to me was by far we won the lottery as far as what games fell in, into our lap, because there, there's just no other game that's going to get get you so. Uh, such an ex- a, a real world experience. I mean, a lot of games have in these environments that don't actually exist, but this game is actually teaching about this culture. And so, yeah, just so much, so much to learn. Fantastic. And you sort of touched on this already in terms of the culture, in terms of the, actually the world drawing you in. What what makes Shenmue stand out from the rest of the games? I mean, Joe, do you want to do you want to talk first on that? Uh, you know, it, it's it's like I, I want to compliment the game for its gameplay and its story, but it, the truth is the fascination was with the the environment, the the, the music scales, the um, the objects in the house, the the yard. Uh, there there was just there's nothing else that was just like I mean the, the fact that they had put such a team together of composers, and when you listen to how the composers even came together to write the soundtrack, how they were in individual teams and composers were underneath other composers and they were just allowed to spend so much time where we've, George and I have written soundtracks before that we had six weeks to produce 200 songs. Well, that's that's not going to give you the Shimu quality music. And so, yeah, the music is just so well done that it just, you just, I could literally sit in, in a Shimu environment for eight hours and absolutely make no progress in the game and be perfectly happy. I mean, what other game can you possibly say uh, even to this day, would draw you in like that. It, that's just why it's so rare. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and George, is that a, is that a similar thing for you? Oh well, I mean, I I think that to leave it to a more simple statement, I would say that uh, video games are generally, you know, very shallow experiences. Stories you'll never see a story from a video game receive an Oscar. Uh, most of them are developed by people who are, you know programmers and designers, but not necessarily storytellers. And the Shemu is not just a video game. It, it rewards those who actually delve into it to a degree that's 
on borders on idiosyncratic where where they don't just play it but they explore they they look through rooms the fact that uh, peter campbell when i talked to him about it and he told me he's been to every single room and every single building in kowloon and shimu too that's the that's the the people that the game was made for not to make fun of peter but he is a little bit you know out there <laughs> to this when i say that uh but uh you know it's the game doesn't just want to to go from point A to point B because you can just beat it in 15 hours and move on to something else. But you can literally go through every single aspect of the game, zoom on on every object, go into every room, have every conversation possible. And you, know, you can just talk to a random character that looks like they're filler and they'll have lines that change throughout the game. So much work into things that people will potentially never notice. Where uh, NPC patterns change throughout the game, where they go. And they don't stand in the same spot, like a typical role-playing game where NPC stands in the same spot the whole game and you are, know exactly where they're going to be. Sometimes you go back to the same spot in Shenmue and they're not there anymore. They've moved on to the different part of their day. And even that today, I would say that's still relatively uh, unique in that aspect of the, to that degree. The only other game I can think of at this moment is Majora's Mask, which has a, a cycle. And, but it's not even close to the level of Shenmue. So for people like me and the analytical types of Shimu fans in general, I think that love to explore how games are made and experience more than just the surface level gameplay. Shimu is that game that, that gives the niche that nothing else can. I'd agree with that. It's, um, it's an experience, I think, divides opinion for sure. But I think once Shenmue, I've always said this, is one of those games that if you get it and it grabs you, that's it, you're hooked for life. It's, it's, there's never an in-between with Shenmue, which is nice and also a curse in some respects. So sort of move, moving on into sort of the music a little bit, obviously we're going to talk more about your music later. When did you sort of start picking up more on the music itself and the sounds, the way the message it's conveying and, and how, how did that sort of grasp you and inspire you to sort of get into making music yourselves. So in 1995, I believe it was, we got our first computer. We were 15 years old. And um, on the computer, it had a software called uh, Cakewalk Home Studio. So we, we put the software under our computer. We started messing around with MIDI files. We were putting them into it and just looking at these notes. And if you've ever looked at an old like honky-tonk piano, they have these piano rolls on there that have little bars. And that's what we were messing with on the software. And we're just pulling notes around with cheap audio, you know, MIDI sound on a very cheap Sound Blaster sound card. And it, we became obsessed with, with music and, and how it was created. And we started writing music. I didn't know how to play the piano. I didn't take a single class yet on composition. And uh, eventually, well, I mean, we love video game music, of course. Uh, Lunar, the Silver Star, I would say was my favorite game as a kid and became obsessed with the music from that. And I'm using that word a lot, obsessed. And so I started to compose this music on the software. Joseph joined me. We've started to evolve over time. I'd say until I was about 33 years old, I'm 41 now, I, I could actually listen to my music without getting sick to my stomach. So it took that much work, that many years of developing a style of composition before I actually felt confident to really even, you know, to listen to my own music without getting sick to my stomach. So. That's where it started. And of course, I'd say a lot of video games inspired me. I never listened to a lot of mainstream music uh, or tried to compose that. It was always video game music. 
because of the the soundtracks I would listen to. I just love them. Great. And Joe, is that is that a similar story for yourself? Uh, well, I was a percussionist, and I I was lucky enough to have two music teachers. Uh, one was military band, um, and the other one was a a progressive drummer who taught me a lot about odd time signature and polyrhythmic music. And so I, I, at that point, I was already really into uh, unique drum sounds. And so the, the Shin Mutu 2 soundtrack is specifically when your bag's stolen and that, uh, that song comes on with the pads, but then it converts into a, a really amazingly written drum piece. And it's not just about the notes, but it's also the way they pan the instruments. Uh, I immediately became obsessed with the, the drums the percussion and the and the Shimu songs. The composition came early on, like, yeah, 1994, 1995, we started learning how to write the music and actually got our first contract to write uh, a, a soundtrack for a PC game that actually ended up selling more in Japan than it did in the United States and uh, actually sold a quarter million copies, I believe. It kind of rode the coattails of the Pokemon thing before it was big because the game offered a series of characters uh, that would battle each other. We got uh, got lucky uh, early on, but um, but we didn't know anything about synth modules. We didn't know how to, to incorporate real good sounds. We were literally stuck in MIDI for, until like 1997. But. Great. So I'm going to fast forward into sort of the Shenmue-inspired music that you do now. So when did you guys take the jump into going, right, we're good with composition, we know what we want to do. When did you guys take the jump into sort of writing your own Shenmue-inspired music, and and how did it sort of come about? Well, that's what's funny is we we actually didn't really take it too seriously. We weren't really composing Shenmue music until COVID hit. Uh, I mean, a year before that, we really started to examine the sounds and try to figure out how we could locate the sounds. And I went through synth module after synth module. We brought them over from Japan and we started uh, trying to locate the sounds, but it was such a an awesome experience to take the, the knob on the synth module and turn one instrument at a time to see if we were going to locate a Shinmu instrument. Uh, and when, it, when one would pop on, it was just just an amazing feeling, like the, uh, the flute instrument in Fortune's Pier. Yeah. There's like a, 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 it's actually an Irish flute that they used. And so I didn't suspect it to be a Shenmue instrument. But when I pressed the, the key and all of a sudden I heard the sound, like we were high fiving each other because we're just so excited that we're actually locating these original instruments. Well, I would say a better example, though, or another example would be the most, one of the most famous songs in Shenmue is the free one song from Shenmue One. Uh, the first song that plays as you walk around Sakuragoka yeah. in the beginning of the game. Uh, the people say the song is so full, it's so dense, but you couldn't put a finger on why it was so good. Well, I'd hate to ever say this to people, especially out loud like I'm about to right now, but that is a Korg patch on one of their uh, synth, synth modules. And all you have to do is press one finger on the keyboard and it plays a complex seventh chord with four different instruments mixed together. So you could literally compose that song with that one patch, which <laughs> surprised me when I found it on the Korg and I just put my finger on there. It's like, that's the entire free one song, uh, that it, one instrument. So uh, it's fascinating to see that, not to say that the composition is not brilliant because it still is brilliant, but it is interesting. You know, you think about how much work it goes into it. Sometimes it doesn't take as much work as you think to create some of the sounds. You're sourcing 
instrument sounds, etc. How how long did it take you to you know, source everything you need? Have you got everything you need now? Is it still an ongoing process? I mean, I'll come to you, George, on that one. Oh, it's always an ongoing process for sure. Uh, there's so many instruments in Shenmue and there's so many layered sounds that it's nearly impossible to, to pick out just any old sound and or try to recreate it yourself. So it takes a lot of trial and error, a lot of mixing uh, instruments together. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been working on certain songs for future videos, but also trying to work on remixes to the original song, similar to uh, Richard uh, and the work that he's been doing. Uh, we also do the same thing. Uh, he doesn't have the sound modules where we do, and uh, so we do have that ability to be able to create the sounds more authentic to the original. Because the problem is, is even if you found the samples on the disc file, they, they're so uh, compressed for audio on a disc for Dreamcast or for Xbox or anything like that, that the even if you found the samples, they're just so compressed that they don't sound close to it. So you have to go back to the sound modules, find the original source sounds, and uh, add them together into one. And tweak knobs here and there to, until you get the sound. So it's, it's a lot of work. It's laborious and not very fun. Um, but that's you know really what we do almost on a weekly basis, constantly messing with those things to make our composition sound more authentic to the real, the real Shenmue sound. And they do. They, well, I'd argue they should be in Shenmue games now, but that's just one one man on a podcast saying this, but they are, the music is excellent. So can you talk me sort of through the process of, choosing a character to to do a composition to making the videos getting it and, and just sort of piecing it all together i mean joe i'll come to you on that one first yeah so uh, i should say that richard george and i are actually in a chat room on facebook and we talk just about every day so we we are, we are constantly talking about shimmy music and we're working trying to get him a sampler so we can send him some of these sounds so he can incorporate them into to his music because he's such a talented composer uh and and the remixes are 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 crystal clear and this the we know what software he has and with his limitations and what he's able to produce is pretty amazing um so the, yeah the way we go about go, choosing a character for the stories well I, I honestly have played more shimu in the last two years than i've played in my entire life uh and i've literally stalked every character and i'm constantly blown away when something happens that's not supposed to happen uh and so the minoru asada video was because it's a guy who doesn't say much and he's always inside his little mahjong shop and one day he just randomly outside walking around and i'm like how have i played this game for three months and i just spotted this guy for the first time and i can't remember who the, the girl is who fukusan kind of has a crush on at that bar or she's always referencing fukusan do you know who I'm talking about? I do, and I can't remember her name. That's horrendous, isn't it? <laughs> right, but she, but I've never seen her anywhere other than in that bar and assumed that that's the only place she was going to be in the entire game. And then one day, randomly, I'm knocking on one of the, do the, the doors just in case somebody opens up this time. And right next to me, I hear the door pop open, and, and I look to my right, and there she is walking out of her apartment. And I'm like, holy crud. I've literally been playing this game every day for a year, and that's the first time, like, what are the odds of me seeing her walking around the streets? And so, yeah, that's normally how I end up picking a character is one that you least are likely to know anything about. And that's why Minoru Asada was a perfect candidate. 
uh, because he has a great backstory. And I was able to incorporate Hong Kong. So both games. And so, so Shinbao is the, the guy who has the green grocers. The first mm-hmm. character you run into when you when you hit um, I think this wise man quarter, uh, he just, you know, he's right in front of you after you look at your map that says Wanzai, this way to the hotel. And and uh, so I thought, yeah, that was interesting. You know, he's got a corner location. He's probably pretty breaking in pretty good money because he's on, on the spot, on the corner where everyone, when they leave work from the harbor, they're walking past to the shop getting groceries on the way home. And then when I talked to him, then he points you to, his, he actually uses the word friend. So I'm like, great, I can incorporate his friend who has a, a lucky hit stand. And so I put made a video about that, that relationship, but that's prior to me learning how to really rig characters. And now that I've done that in the last video, uh, there's really no limitation anymore to, to making these videos uh, because I think my very first videos were literally me just recording them walking by, even though the video of the kid falling into the, the harbor uh, sea, that was that was kind of tricky based on the, the fact that I had absolutely no uh, no way of using any of the NPCs or the environment like I do now. So, but I definitely want suggestions though. I, I, if anybody is interested enough in the videos, I, I would love to hear a suggestion and and have like a, a goal or a direction based on what people actually are interested in, if they are interested in it at all. But well, part of the problem of being a twin of this person, uh, you know, Joe is so inspired by this right now that. Sometimes it's a uh, it's almost too much. You can hear the tone right now how excited he gets, and we're I'll be in a public place and he'll call me like it's an emergency, and I'm like I'll put him on speaker like what's going on, Joe? And he goes, I've been following her for a week, and uh, I've been watching her for a week. She finally left her apartment, and I have to quickly take him off speakerphone because the people around me have no idea what's going on. Now they think my brother's a stalker. It's like he he became so obsessed with this, these games and the the behaviors of the characters and. Uh, you know, I just thought, you know, I was saying earlier how deep Shimu can be. And Joe has been showing me stuff on a weekly basis, stuff that, you know, after six, seven playthroughs, I'd never seen before. And mainly, mainly small stuff that, you know, obviously big stuff we all see, but the, the tiny things that we miss of a man leaving the bar in the middle of the night and it looks like he's going to throw up and then he starts walking. A man in a business suit. I had never seen that before. But somebody took the time to make that animation, put it into the game. And I just just showed it to me. I was like, I can't say I've ever seen that before. Yeah, he he dry heaves and then he sneezes and uh, like, and I yeah I, I didn't see that until that moment. Prior to that, he just walked around aimlessly. It sounds trivial, but as a Shenmue fan who's obsessed, like the, we all are, uh, when an NPC sneezes and everybody starts screaming in the Shenmue community, that's that just shows how crazy and loyal our fan base is. Yeah, that's that's very true. So. You've got your character. You've got a rough idea for what you're going to do in terms of story. Talk me through the composition of you've got your, from story to music to final video. How does that all sort of come together? So, so it happens in reverse. So the song dictates the action because the songs are already written. So I build the scene based on the length of the song. But often you'll hear the song just randomly cut off, like when they uh, those two guys tackle. The, the big guy at the end there, uh, well, that's because the song was coming to an end. And so I just had to, you know, just end it right there. And, and then the uh, capsule toy guy is apologizing and that's the end of it. So, so yeah, we, we have so many songs that are already done, but, but I'm not very quick in making the videos. I mean, that, that last video I started on June 19 and spent, I would say every other weekend working on it. 
Uh, and so, yeah, it takes two or three months to, to make a video. And that's why I don't post, post them very often, but I, I would prefer to make them higher, higher quality to respect the detail that, that, that Shimu really is. And so I, I would hate to release anything that wasn't my, my best effort, but I almost do it for myself though. And I, I, I'm glad that other people are enjoying it. I never really think, I never expected to get thousands and thousands of views and it, it clearly hasn't. And that's fine. I, I, I just enjoy the, the process of learning and maybe it's a, it's a COVID hangover because certainly George and I have a, we have a construction company. And so we, our business did slow down quite a bit and we, we used COVID as an opportunity to kind of rediscover what was missing, what, what we wanted to do, uh, that a hobby that we've kind of neglected for a while and music in, in Shamu just for just came back into our lives. And I think a lot of that is obviously because we, we went to Tokyo, we, we had pledged money to the, the Shamu three game. And, and so we were, we were still on a high from, from 2015 when we first went over to Tokyo. Uh, and so yeah, COVID kind of gave us a chance to go right back into it. Excellent. And I'm going to, stop us there for a very quick break so i think we should have an example of, of some music now so we i'm going to play for for everybody listening the jimbao intro music from one of your videos so if you haven't caught up with this already get yourselves onto youtube uh joseph kitchen fried noodles it's all on there but this is the jimbao intro music Welcome back, everybody. That was the Jimbao introduction song there. Um, lovely piece of music. Um, just a very good example of, of what Joe and George have, have been working on here. So, George, I'm going to bring you in on this question. Joe's talks about the, the amount of music you've already got made. But I want to know a bit more about the process around 
get yeah, writing these songs and also getting the exact sound that you want. Can you talk me through the, the really intricate details of, of building that building that song from the individual individual sounds upwards? Sure. So uh, we have, I would say, eight or nine sound modules that were used on the original Shimmer games. And I won't tell you the disgusting amount of hours it took to locate them. And Joseph literally drew or drove seven hours to get one of them. And including we have malfunctions, fires, <laughs> uh, fires as in, you know, we have some of these sound cards that we attach to it, like Asia sounds, and they just melted down the second they went in because they're 25 year old software or hardware. And so we're dealing with archaic stuff tied into modern day software. And so a lot of this stuff was breaking down on us, but we still, you know, we got all these modules together and we, we would, we found a Shinmu sound, but realized it was incomplete. So we realized to get these Shinmu sounds, we were going to have to do a lot of combining of things and, you just can't combine two waves together and hope that they work. They'll interfere with each other many times. So after twisting knobs, we uh, we ended up, you know, recreating the sound more pure than the original Shimmy sound is, or as what has we have it now since they're so compressed. So I'll, I can fly through some of these right now. And yeah, you please can, do. I'd be interested to see if, if you all know exactly where these come from within the game or which song. So here's one, for example. <laughs> Any guesses to where that's from? It's I, I, I'm walk, I feel myself walking around. I, see, Matt, this is even a quiz for me because I'm trying to remember. <laughs> so this is from the dim sum quarter in the daytime. Ah, yes. So that took so much fine tuning and adjusting things around. We, we discovered that there was an organ involved. There's a, a subtle bell. And, and there's a, even a drum pad bass that has to hit with it or it will not have the impact. And you can hear there's a small uh, a scuttle flute of some kind that we had to find. So it's, it, you know, these are just little things. And here's another sound that took way more work. This is a combination of about 11 different sounds. So that's uh, Jianmin's theme. From when you're, when you're learning from Jianmin. So maybe I'll, if I do a, a little bit louder of an instrument, it can be a little bit more clear. So here's one from Bright Jewelers Shop. So I think that's a very popular Shinmu sound. Yeah, that's like, that's in almost. I can think of three or four songs of that instruments. So it's another one that very well known. And when you get start to get into the flutes, they're a little bit easier to work with. Which is the Longwishan flute. I was about to say that's squealing all over. And I think the, the favorite flute that everybody loves is from maybe the most loved Shinmu song. And I'll, I'll let you guys guess this one. Mm-hmm. 
that flute's from? Uh, Dragon Street Night. There you go. Good job. So, Very good. Yeah, these are just all these. These are all instruments created for Shimmer. They, these are not samples that were just taken from software. These were all created by the team. So they're just beautiful sounds, and frankly, I'm jealous of the the ability that they have to. That's with viewing. A dozen Man Mo Temple songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're just brilliant sounds. See, that, that last instrument you just played, George, is actually, it's, a, it's what's called a tone. It's not even an instrument. We had, to, we had to rip that from the bagpipe sound because a bagpipe uses four tones to create the bag, bagpipe sound. And so I actually ripped that sound from the bagpipe just to get that instrument. I was using the wrong word. Tones is, is the right word. So I don't know, that's from the Fortune Eatery flute. <laughs> and I don't even remember what Fortune Eatery is, but that's the song from the, from the inside the shop. So I could literally go through these for hours. So I'll end it on that. But an example of how much we, it takes so much work just to get this stuff, you know, layered and sounding correct. And, you know, it's worth it in the end. And, uh, you know, it's just a hobby that we do on the side. I think it's a project, certainly within community, that's, that's gathering pace. More and more people are becoming aware of your your guys music and it's i think as close to shenmue new music as you get like most of the stuff you guys have put together would happily sit in any shenmue game for me well the, the truth is is we we, we we to this point we've released or we've had 31 songs to the eight videos on there but we have over 200 that are done and the best songs are actually not in the videos we're kind of saving them on the side but we uh yeah, so we might start adding some of those if the videos become, you know, something that we we really continue to do. But what Joe was supposed to say first was thank you for the compliment, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I think Joe just gets so excited. So, but thank you for. Well, saying. I mean, should, I feel like just re- releasing all the songs in one file and just be like, here's all all 250 of them. And but uh, I would definitely prefer to put them to a video or to one of these amazing side characters that have just. Uh, really cool stories. I mean, I, I didn't know that I was going to do a video about the Godhead fortune tellers. Uh, and Zhao Ji, of all characters, the the photo guy, I didn't. I mean, I, I was just jokingly put him inside the the fortune teller uh, place and, and thought it would be funny for him to be get, to get teased or tricked by the uh, lazy advice given by the, the fortune teller because there's no obligation for him to you know, people go into that stuff not believing it but Jaji believed and so he took that advice and and that's why she was so critical to him because he was like you know you could potentially hurt somebody when you when you recommend something like a, a, a sport or an activity like skateboarding i find it funny that joseph says the character's name so casually as if we all know every single npc in the history of shenmue right at the top of our head we we should do. I, I feel bad for not. <laughs> like, yeah, that guy, that guy, Jaju, you know, you know them, right? I'm like, casual, oh, yeah. Sure. Well, everybody knows who he is based on the, on the, you, the funny little, you know, side. Well, he's in two cutscenes, right? In the beginning, he says, hello, handsome. And then when he actually tries to sell you the, the, uh, the photo. But other than that, there's, there's, there's nothing on him. And so creating a story based on limited splicing together, limited conversation 
uh, is, def- is definitely the biggest challenge is to make an engaging story based on very limited uh, assets for these characters. But well, uh, I, should, I wanted to interrupt there by just saying that that's the reason why we're not, or Joe specifically, who's making most of these videos, or nearly all of them, uh, we're not going to be doing videos based on main characters because that's disrespecting the canon, in my opinion, and Joe agrees. So most of these videos are just people in the background that don't really have a story, and they're not going com- completely out of character for what they are in the game. So we will not be making a Rio video or a, you know, showing video or anything like that. It's just that's disrespectful, I think, too. Well, George, I mean, I, you're kind of spoiling like one video that I I, I have 25% done is of a of a scene that was mentioned, but we never saw it. And so I would never create my a, a story from a popular character that was in conflict with Shimon Lore. But we do know what happened when uh, Lon D drove away after, you know, killing Ewa. We know that uh, Hugh got splashed and Hugh got knocked over and we never saw any of that. But it, to create that, you know, authentically, like 100%. You're not going to include a cat getting run over, are you? I don't want to see that. No, I wouldn't. Of course not. I wouldn't do that. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I would never create a new content. I mean, that's not some, just doesn't, wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, that's That's fair. And obviously, you're going to keep putting these video videos out as you can, which is which is brilliant to see. And I would urge anyone in the Shemu community to, to be getting behind these videos because they are all excellent. The music is superb throughout. But I want to sort of move away a little bit from the music now and talk about um, Shemu Three and your involvement in the Kickstarter, and also um, the school in Guilin, which um, for newer members of the community you may not know this, uh, you guys obviously run a school out there. So Shenmue 3 Kickstarter, you guys backed in to get the Tokyo dinner. You've got Joe, you've got an NPC, and also you've got a noodle stand um, in the game as well, um, which I think Ren is actually eating at when you first meet him, if my memory serves me correctly. So talk me through sort of deciding where you want to go with the Kickstarter in terms of what tier you want to go in. And can you talk me through the Tokyo dinner and also sort of the process of getting your NPC into the game? Well, Joe's going to have a lot to say about his app, so I'll quickly go through the Kickstarter. Uh, we, uh, we like everybody else, we saw the the trailer. We didn't see it live. We saw it afterwards when somebody messaged me about it, probably you know, James Reiner or uh, whoever else I was still talking to at the time. And uh, when so I we just when I watched the trailer together and we were shocked and. We saw that there was a Kickstarter. We went on there saying, let's uh, let's give some money to it. And then uh, we did something for $300 or something. I can't remember. And then Joseph went off to work and we uh, I was sitting there on the couch thinking to myself, well, you know, this is a once in a lifetime thing for us. And we'd love to, you know, possibly fly to, to Tokyo and, and have dinner with you, Suzuki. So I looked up the dinner and uh, it was already sold out. And the only one left was... Uh, the one in Europe, I think it was in Monaco. I can't remember. Uh, that was the only one that had like a spot open, but I didn't want to go to Monaco. Uh, no offense to Monaco, but I just wanted to go to Tokyo to go through the whole experience. So uh, like two days before the Kickstarter was over, you know, I didn't know this at the time, but apparently people take up spots just to troll and at the last second back out of it. And that's what ended up happening. And so the second it went open, I said to Joe, I said, uh, we got to take this while we can. And so uh, we back to Kickstarter and uh, we got on there and it came back that I just, just spent $10,000. And I said to myself, okay, sure. 
whatever that's uh, just close your mind ignore what you did and uh so it was a split decision i made it and then joseph decided later on to do his part or not his part but to give even more against uh, or with my protest which he can go into well i mean we we have a business and so we have a great relationship with our banker and so we have a line of credit and i wanted to be immortalized through software so, uh, not really. I mean, I, I, I'm just honestly obsessed with the Shamu. And so to be a NPC in the game, um, I, I have to say when I finally saw myself in the game, it was very awkward. <laughs> I, 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 the feelings that I felt were not the feelings that I was expecting to feel, but the, 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 the journey to that point was worth it. Being with George in Tokyo uh, driving around a van uh, or bus to to um, to wherever we went to, I can't remember where we went to, but Yokohama, Yokohama, um, and then meeting people like uh, Adam Sipian and, and Peter and uh, um, her last name is Kwan, Jessica Kwan, yeah, and uh, geez, I should never start naming names if I can't name all of them, but. But it was, uh, it was just a great, uh, just to see the people involved because it just wasn't Yu Suzuki, it was other people in the team. And we made friends with quite a few of them. And we met Eric Kelso and we didn't know who he was. And all of a sudden he started talking like Fukusan and just blown away by by just one experience after another that was just made the whole thing worth it. Well, also there was uh, Ryoichi Hasegawa, who has become a good friend of ours as well. And uh, if anyone knows him, he's a... He's done a lot of work for Sega for the last 30 years and uh, a lot of translation work. And I believe he's at Sony now. Uh, he was at Riot Games for a long time, but he's uh, he was there with us and he just such a, a humble, intelligent personality. And I, th- I think I may be wrong by saying this, but I think if it wasn't for him, Echo the Dolphin never would have came out in Japan for the Sega, Sega Genesis. So uh, he just was heavily involved with a lot of translation work. So. Yeah, I mean, if you ever played the Knights game, he wrote the lyrics to all the Knights songs. He wrote the lyrics to Burning Rangers. He uh, he helped with localization for Night Trap for Sega CD. Uh, Sega Rally, the composer for that, the Daytona songs. Um, oh, excellent. I love those songs. They're so so he, he wrote the, the lyrics to those songs. And so, yeah, he's uh, he is through and through Mr. Mr. Sega for anybody who, any young American boy uh, or anybody who's, you know, in England or any English speaking country, uh, we, we, those lyrics uh, for dream dreams or dreams, the, uh, the night soundtrack, that was one of my favorite soundtracks. And then all of a sudden you're talking to the guy who, who actually translated those, uh, wrote the uh, English, uh, for those songs. I mean, that's, uh, it was quite an extraordinary experience to meet him. So getting back on topic though, <laughs> I'm sorry, we, we went on a tangent a little bit. I apologize, but, uh, the, the dinner was in Yokohama. And uh, we all sat in a circle table, and I believe we shared a picture once in a while, or once or twice about this, where we all sat in a circle, and then Yu Suzuki sat down first, and then we all looked at each other like, "Well, who's going to sit next to Yu Suzuki?" And I just happened to be the closest one to him, so I just had to sit down because uh, it was going to be awkward watching us all wrestle each other for the seat next to Yu Suzuki. And uh, I believe Matthew Kilpatrick was sitting to the left of Yu Suzuki, so we're all sitting there t- chatting, and he's he starts asking us questions and says, "Well." What, what, what is it about Shenmue that, that you love? And everybody froze because it's like 
you don't want you Suzuki staring at you wanting an answer other than, Oh, oh I, I like video games. And he's like, what, that's all you got. You know, so you're like, <laughs> frozen on the spot as he's staring at you. And I had a few drinks in me. So I started talking a little bit too much. And, uh, Joseph decided to have this brilliant idea to tell Yusuzuki about a glitch that he discovered. And uh, where are you really bringing that up? I, I regret ever saying that. I know. Well, there's a glitch that we were the, we were the founders of, which it's not really a proud thing, but Joe put his controller up against the wall one night or put no, put Ryo up against the wall in, uh, in uh, Sakuragoka and came back. It was nighttime and, Yusu, and uh, Yusuzuki, uh, Ryo was 30 feet in the air. And so we walked around the, the village 30 feet up in the air and just shared it on YouTube and Blue Moo also shared it a little bit later on. But uh, we were the founders of that glitch. So Joseph decided to tell it to Yu Suzuki. And Yu Suzuki, <laughs> a perfectionist, had this look on his face like, oh, I didn't know that. And didn't seem very happy to find out either. Uh, of course, he laughed it off later. But uh, Yu Suzuki, he has a, a, I would say, quirky personality in person. And sometimes he can be very serious. And then somebody told a joke that wasn't even that funny. And all of a sudden, Yu Suzuki starts slapping the table with this giddy laughter. And it throws everybody off so bad that everybody was silent. And he was laughing alone. But it was such a giddy, youthful, happy laugh after being dead serious and deadpan in all his delivery. The whole entire dinner just threw all of us off. Uh, but he's just, you can tell he's so pure, so sincere. And anyone ever wants to question his dedication to Shenmue and, his, and the fans, you've seen it. Uh, he watched people's reactions to the Kickstarter. He got emotional. Uh, I don't know if you remember, uh, what was his name? Duck? Something Duck? Scottish Duck? Oh, yeah. Yu Suzuki saw his reaction and cried because he saw how much it meant to Scottish Duck. And so uh, tell me that, you know, Yu Suzuki doesn't care about Shenmue. He's only for the money, like some of these, you know, halfway fans that don't understand uh, Yu Suzuki loves Shinmo. He loves the fans, and he is such a sincere individual. And I'll, I'll, I'll drop it there. I'm going on a, on a tangent. No, no, brilliant. So, with the dinner, there was a photo popped up. Um, I don't know if it's the same dinner that you guys went to. But there's a dinner of everybody huddled around a laptop, and Yu Suzuki showing <laughs> you some early footage of Shenmue Three. Mm -hmm. Are you allowed to say what you saw? Oh, uh, just I think the uh, opening trailer. Or the opening opening cutscene. Oh, what, into Bailey Village. Yeah, and there was something else too, but I, I can't remember. I think we were in too much shock, and after playing it now and seeing all the trailers, it's kind of blurry. But I think it was the opening cutscene. Is that right, Joe? I I actually don't remember. I I remember it was the part where the camera does zoom down the main street of Niawu. But there was also things that we saw that were not actually in the game. Well, so that's a, you can you can talk about that. I'm not going to talk. No about stuff that. that was cut. I'm not saying secret stuff. I'm saying stuff that was probably cut later on because it was showing some like fighting mechanics or something that were not never in the game. Actually, I don't know if it's okay to say that, but whatever. <laughs> you know, it, probably they were just still working through the the battle system. So stuff like that. I remember seeing uh, guys in black suits, and I don't actually remember really fighting anybody with black suits on. Well, going back to the dinner, though, I did want to mention that I was very dedicated to the gym prior to going there because I had a feeling they were going to try to photograph me for my my NPC. And I just didn't I, I didn't know when that moment was going to happen. So while we were around that table, I was uh, a little bit uh, we were drinking maybe a little bit too much and having a pretty good time. 
And then one of the uh, the guys who are taking a lot of pictures grabs my shoulder and pulls me out of my chair and throws me up against a wall, makes me stand to my side as if I was being arrested and slaps three pictures of me, like, like not even knowing what's going on. And he's like, all right, we got your NPC shots. I'm like, what? Seriously? <laughs> like, it just happened all of a sudden. I, but I was like trying to prepare myself for when it actually did happen, just to be intoxicated when it, when it did happen. So it, it definitely felt strange. Yu Suzuki's like looking at Joseph's muscles and laughing at him for his muscles at the time because he had like this tight shirt on, not purposely tight. Well, they, they did not tell me that they were going to make me do Arnold Schwarzenegger poses in my <laughs> hotel room. Like I, I when I saw that, like I I didn't even know that they had really thought of me as somebody who had, at the time I was, I was a dedicated but Joe, you have to reference this because I think there's some people out there. Every time I tell this to somebody, they say, I don't know what you're talking about. So if you walk in front of Hotel Niawa where Rio stays, if you're looking at the front door and look at the first room to the left, you can look in the window and see my brother do about six or seven poses of flexing. Suzuki <laughs> was making fun of Joseph so much about his muscles. And so he actually put him in the game making fun of, uh, you know, the, his style and uh, it's actually, I would say Joseph found it as an honor more than, you know, making fun of him. It was only an honor because I didn't suggest it. Had I suggested it, it would have been extremely, arrogant. Uh, it, yeah, it would have been giving, sending the wrong message. But the fact that it happened without my suggestion, I just thought it was a little hilarious of all things to, to notice was the fact that I, at the time I was a, I was definitely working out a ton. And the, the way the, that the fried noodle stand had my name on it is only because the suggestion that we gave, they, they so that we couldn't do. We didn't realize that, that they were going to slap my name on it. And I, I don't even know if they knew that Kitchen was my last name. And that's probably why my name ended up on there, like my full name, uh, because they may have thought it was just like Joe's Kitchen, but it was actually my name is Joseph Kitchen. And so that that was a shock to me. I mean, it was like, one, it was a shock to see Ren cutscene and then my name behind him. The whole thing was just overwhelming. Yeah. So we also asked to have our name put in as Japanese if they could to avoid that, which is daidokuro. But that's more of a colloquial, or not colloquial, but sort of an old-fashioned term for a kitchen. Well, my, my, my character, my NPC's name is Yesu, which is Joseph. But I wanted it to be in Mandarin. I didn't want to see Joe Kitchen. Yeah, it's Joe. My NPC. So the name was Yesu. Ah, well, that's good. I never knew that. So that's a nice little bit of trivia there. <laughs> Well, plus his NPC falls in love with the girl exercising over at the uh, the training area. Well, all, all of it was so. That's how much they they actually they, they knew how much we had given to the to the Kickstarter. And not not only did they they talk, my character talks about world traveling, but also my character wanders into keeps wandering into the arcade to play games. Like everything that we had talked about, like just casual conversation, ended up being implemented into the character. And I'm just I'm just blown away by that, honestly. It's oh nice. That's that's really cool. So obviously you're an NPC. You've got your uh, noodle stand with Ren. Talk me through playing Shenmue Three. What were your thoughts on the final product itself? Well, uh, I'll go first, George. Um, and uh, I would say it was exactly what I expected. Uh, there's people out there who were expecting this uh, large project of uh, something that was going to be. You know, on the scale of modern day games. And I, I had my expectations held back a little because it was a Kickstarter game. Uh, it was a team, people working on it, that were a little bit out of the industry for a little while. And they had to develop an engine from the beginning. And, you know, they wanted to give a Shimu experience. But I think also in Yu Suzuki's heart, I won't speak for him, obviously, but uh, he wants to create the, the biggest part of the story with the most 
you know, the largest team possible and not through a Kickstarter. So I think, you know, people complain about the story not going, you know, too heavily. It didn't evolve enough into the next part of it, which, you know, I can understand. But for the experience of it, you know, I enjoyed every aspect of it that I played. I beat it thoroughly and uh, I went through it. I was frustrated by the capsule machines because I literally spent hours trying to get one little plate out of a capsule machine. <laughs> Other than, than stuff like that, which, you know, it's part of video game monotony in, in, unto itself. I, I enjoyed it. And do I wish more story was told? Yes. Do I wish it had the, the heart that was in the first two of Yes, because to me, the heart of the first two was in the small stories between characters and getting to know the NPCs a little bit. And in, the, in Shimu 3, it was a little bit point A to point B versus the, the previous one, which had a little bit more heartstring stories. And and I, I don't want to bring in Yakuza, but it, you can't help it. Yakuza's side stories have so much heart. And that's where Shimu 3, I think, could have had more stories that developed Ryu, or for you, I almost said Ryu. Rio's character a little bit more showed who his personality was more the heart that we got to know from him in part one and part two. And I think part three kind of, it didn't go more into his character. It didn't show it as much. And when, when I, when somebody thought mistaked him for his father, you wow, and you heard the music come in, I started to get those chills and I got those feelings like this is the Shimu three and it doesn't do enough of, of that. Obviously you don't want to do over fan service and too much of hearkening to the past, but I would have loved one flashback or a, a, what's going on with Fukusan over in Yokosuka and just like somebody model one little section of town or the dojo and just show him back at his house. Something to give us those heartstrings and connect us to the original story a little bit more would have been great. But overall, I was satisfied. Brilliant. And what about yourself, Joe? Obviously being immortalized in the game forever. Uh, well, I mean... Uh... Besides that, for me, Shamu, like when I still turn it on and still feel the, the, the culture, I still feel remnants of when I, when I was there. And that to me is what was most important. I mean, the story is ultimately what's most important because I, I am engaged into the story. Uh, but I, I felt like I was in China at times, and those were the best moments for me, um, especially in. Uh, a Bailu village. I think that's that was that felt very familiar. Uh, I, I recognized the food. I could I could smell the food. I could hear the cicadas. I could uh, feel the heat and the humidity, I, and that was awesome. And I I'm one just to go back and fish for an entire day. And I I like those side games. I did not like the voice acting too much. Um, I'm not going to point out an individual just in case he happens to be listening. Well, maybe I will. The there's uh no, I won't do that. Okay, so yeah, to me, I loved Violet Village. Uh, I and Yawu was also pretty awesome, unless you went towards like that modern street. What do they call that street? Where like you could buy instruments or like that uh, jazz music comes on. Like Lender Avenue and all of that. Lender Avenue and the Promenade. The nightclub, all that kind of just bugged me a little bit because I wanted to feel like ancient China, like what I what I like when I went to China, I went to the, the temples and I, I wanted more of that. Everything was everything was very shiny in Niawu. Everything was too shiny, whereas Shimu too was so like dirty and drudgery and uh, slum, and I loved that about Shimu too. So Shimu three was very shiny. Everything, the food, the floors, and the 
the restaurants and shops were all well cleaned and well kept. And I just like the grittiness of Shinmu too, the dirtiness of it. It just feels like real, you know, Kowloon and, you know, Niawu is a, which is based on a, what is, what's the city, Joe? The, the real city of Niawu. Wall City? No. Niawu. Oh, Niawu, I think it's Kowloon. What's the name of the city in China, Joe? Oh, the, the Phoenix? I, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it's it, the word Phoenix in, in Chinese. But the, the real city itself is very ancient. It's very deteriorated and I won't say falling apart, but it's definitely uh, in, in bad shape in areas. And I think Shimu 3 kind of made made it look very beautiful, which I understand is also a victim to the Unreal Engine where a lot of people discuss that. It's overly shiny. And also, this is a minor critique that Joseph and I really had, but it kind of bugs us. The color of the water in that area is green. And the water along that river in Yao is this dark, you know, blackish brown water. And that area is famous for its green rivers. And uh, it's, it's, it's minor, but it bugged me a little bit. Oh, that's a nice little bit of trivia there as well, which I, I didn't know, which is which is awesome to hear. Um, thank you again for your thoughts on Shenmue 3. I know it was a game that divided opinion, but at the end of the day, we were lucky to get it in the first place. So it is what it is, I suppose. Um, my next question comes on to the school that you both run in Guilin. Um, I'd like to know how did this start and what actually inspired you to do this in the first place? Well, Joe can answer that better than I can, for sure. Uh, it's it, it would be a podcast in and of itself, but at the time I was self righteous, arrogant, uh, got my heart broke, lost a ton of weight, hit rock bottom and thought that the best thing I could possibly do was to disconnect from my reality. And so I bought a ticket to China and signed up for a school and spent two and a half months living in Guilin, China. Uh, I had prepared a little bit already by learning basic Mandarin. So it wasn't like I was completely on my own, but I, I didn't know the best way of getting there. So I landed in Guangzhou and then crossed the border into China. So waited in line for four and a half hours. Uh, and then at the time they didn't have the uh, bullet trains. So it was a, a sleeper train, but I had bought a ticket at the train station. So there was no more beds. So I sat all the way in, at the, in the cheapest tickets you can buy, which was honestly the best experience because I met the people who were living and going back to Guilin and Yangshua. And so immediately thrown right into the deepest part of that culture, learned what life in Guilin was actually like. They're, they, The people in Yangshua in, in southern China, Guangxi province, they're so, um, they're, they're so different than people in Beijing. They, they're like, they're self, they have a, a lot of pride. And they, they really take care of themselves. They're clean. They, they, their agriculture is amazing. Uh, they're, they're, uh, yeah, just everything about it was so much different than what people had told me before I went there. That I was ignorantly thinking it was going to be a bunch of peasants. And, but it's, it's, it's the total opposite. There's, there's a lot of pride in, in that area. And so, uh, but once I was there, I just, I just immediately fell in love. And the school was a Canadian professor who wanted to retire. And so I suggested that I learn how to take over the school. And so the school became mine. And, and so we partnered up with people who were a little bit more well-funded. And then we turned it from one caravan to three. And then we eventually expanded into corporate 
funds and moved into uh, uh, Beijing and cities like Taiyuan and worked with a, a group called Impact China. But um, that first two and a half month trip, I mean, it, there, as a, adults, we rarely get a chance to live in the moment. We're always so much, we're caught up in our lives and, and what the next step is and always thinking about money. And, and when you're living in a place like that and there's no clocks, there's no calendars, there's nowhere to be. It's just, you wake up, you teach English, you ride your bike around, you talk to the locals and you and you're in no rush because you're there for two and a half months and there's no guidance counselor it's just me creating my own story and and i wish that every shimu fan could actually experience it that way not not an eight-day tour through through china but actually get to live like they that like the locals live and when i came back i mean i, I was just a totally different person it completely changed my life and I mean, that's all because of Shamu. I mean, just the, the luck, the lottery of my life. Uh, that's, uh, I, I, I'm just so pri- privileged to be able to experience that. I think that's why you talk about because of Shenmue. It's, I think that's why the franchise is held in such regard by the fans that are here, because it has touched us in so many different ways. I mean, you've gone out to China, set up a school. Ezra went out, to, who I interviewed, Ezra, Krabe, who I interviewed a while back, he went and did a massive tour of Guilin, um, the martial arts out there, and and did his own sort of Rio tour, if you like. It, it, I think Shenmue touches people in so many different ways, which is why it's so special. Um, going back to the school, I mean, how are things with the school now? Are, are things still running? Obviously, COVID's been a problem across the world as well, but is, how is the school going now? Well, so I, I was there last, this is George, and uh, I was teaching in a little bit north in Changsha or Jujo. And uh, with COVID, we, we hit a bit of a snag, unfortunately, because obviously getting people in there to teach uh, and the regulations and the liability is extremely uh, a dangerous thing. On top of it, Joseph and I were in Hong Kong during the protest. So because of that, we, were, we, were, we couldn't even get to the airport to come home because the airport was being blocked. And so it was just bad timing that we were in Hong Kong during all these protests. So uh, to get back into China now is a very difficult process because now we've been labeled conspirators of the of the uh, of the protest in a way. So we are kind of on a waiting pattern. We've been talking to the embassy here in D.C. about getting our visas again to go back to China, and they're saying, "Well, you may want to wait a little bit longer because uh, you have this big red flag on your visa." So we're just kind of doing a wait and see. The school can run itself in the meantime. We still have local programs that are still going on, and we kind of have the Chinese people. I want to say we have them; they're doing this, and the their their schools are still running. And we don't have as much hands-on as we used to, which is what we want. We don't want to be like the centerpiece where it looks like it's about us. We want the kids that are coming in the school to be taken care of. So there's the program's still going. It's just it's not as hands-on for us, which would be is more of a selfish thing to to really want. But the good thing is kids are being helped and regardless of if we can get people over there or if we can get there ourselves. All we care about is the school running. We don't want to see bad situations. We want to see kids being helped and getting them in summer programs and helping out the local communities. And that's what it's about. And the school is still running to this day. And with through Shenmue, people, there's a misconception out there that we had spent taking the money out of kids' mouths and out of the school to, to do the Kickstarter. I don't know where that came from, but... You know, people online are cynical by nature, and it's just not true. 
Joseph and I and the school, we put money into advertising every single year and we put some advertising funds into other sources and we got more positive feedback and more attention than any other form of advertising we had ever done prior through, through uh, you know, what we did at the Kickstarter. But there was still our personal money that we spent. It's like saying somebody at a charity event, why do you drive a car for when you could have given that money to the people that you're doing charity for? And it's like, well, what charities have you done? Well, I don't do charity. Oh, so you're telling us how to spend our personal money at a charity event that we're, you know, we're giving our money to. You're telling us how to do it. And you've never given anything to anybody. You know, I have my personal money that I decided to give to Shenmue. Does that mean I didn't give it to the kids in, in, in Guilin? No, it's it's a ridiculous rumor that came up, and I don't mean to get too personal because it's all in the past. But uh, you know, we uh, we got attention to the school like we wanted to. We were interviewed by Guilin's uh, largest uh, news station, and they asked about our school. We got so much local people showing up to help. We got more funding, more schools. We have Impact Exchange as a partner of ours who got involved with our school. And they talk to this day about how much they want to grow it and add. And so if it wasn't for the Kickstarter and the attention that we got from it, the school wouldn't be where it is today. So it worked out very successfully. And that's the power of Shenmue at the end of the day, isn't it? And just sort of reference some of the, some of the press that you got. I mean, in the West, you were on um, Silicon Era. I think you there was an article on IGN about the school. It, it it ran in the press over over in the West quite a lot, so that exposure was was huge. I, I he did know. an interview with Kotaku as well. Yes, he did. Actually, it was on my list. Kotaku as well. I mean, that's crazy. Um, off of off of backing a Kickstarter to get that amount of coverage, but as you say, it had the desired impact. Yeah, I mean, we didn't get as many volunteers teaching as we wanted because we would tell everybody, "Hey, come teach at the school," and people were like, "Yeah, I should do that sometime." We got a lot of wheel spinners on that, but, uh, yeah, we, but at the same time, we, we got a total of sixty volunteers, and and that and who actually did make the trip, and that and that made, made it completely worth it. And and the I'm best Shenmue fan specifically. Well, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple pe- people who reference Shenmue, but yeah, the, the cool story is some of the students are now at uh, American colleges, American universities, and that's they don't they don't forget who took took care of them. Did their local government take care of them? Well, no, we 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 provided them an opportunity and they took full advantage of it. We taught them the basics of English, but also about English culture. I mean, we, we would give them a spoon and, and a ping pong. Western culture. Western culture, sorry. We would give them a spoon and a ping pong ball and, and they would try to see if they could balance the ping pong ball and the spoon because they're, they're so used to chopsticks that the idea of using a spoon was uh, you know, completely beyond them and they and they had a very difficult time with it and i just thought it was hilarious teaching western manners to to, uh to local uh, kids in in guangxi province it was actually quite hilarious but um i would say even better though is when you're watching these kids play shenmue 2 and (laughs) going through long and i'm like that's that's your hometown right there you know those kids couldn't believe that they actually this was all happening that people cared about their local village but we're like well, yeah, it's on your currency. Guilin is a is a worldwide phenomenon. People come here. Many artists travel there, and you see it when you're there. Uh, it's a very very famous place, but they're they're just surprised by it. So just hit on something very important there, where the people in that area they don't realize how famous they are throughout the world. And so when we're showing them Shenmue, and we tell them, you don't understand. Everybody in the West who played this game is now obsessed with. Uh, coming here someday just to meet you 
and the people that live here because it's it's mysterious. There's no to me. There's no place in the world as mysterious as China, and its culture and history. And when you tell these people, they're so humbled by it, and they're so blown away that that the people are that interested in Guilin and in Yangshuo. Yangshuo is kind of sort of the more like the Long Guishan. Uh, Guilin is actually a city of five million people, so it's not like you it's, you know like you picture it in, in Shenmu. But uh, we we just we have such fun just sharing with people how much how many fans there are of their their hometown and that really honestly is maybe the best memories i have well that that reminds me of when we were on dubuida uh you me adam and peter and um that one guy you took pictures i can't remember his name alex alex yeah there you go and we walked into a bar and we and it's like some people already know what we're we're about to ask and of course i go up to the bar and say hey can you play the song called bar yukoska and he already knew what, what i was saying and so uh, he he loads it up on under the speakers at this bar. Yeah, Adam was in the bathroom. Peter was sitting at the table. We're all loading up, uh, getting our beers. And so I, I knew the song was about to kick on. So I immediately turn around to, just so I can catch everyone's reaction. Adam comes flying out of the bathroom. But just the reaction, everybody just to be on Dubuita Street listening to Bar Yukoska at a bar in Yukoska, uh, you know, a little bit drunk. Uh, it was just, that was just to me the best I was so glad that I thought of that because that was just the best part of the whole trip. But they knew that Shimu fans go to Dubuita Street to have that experience, and they were ready to go as soon as I said Bar Yukoska. He had it on on his on his uh, on his computer, ready to go. It was so funny. I love it. That's that's really cool, actually. Um, right, I'm going to close this out with with one final question. Uh, I just want to say thank you for your time this evening and talking talk to us about your music about. Shenmue Three's dinner and and the school, but I do this with everybody, and I did forewarn you, so I hope you're ready. Um, do you have a final message for the Shenmue community, George? I'm going to come to you first. Oh, it's funny you come to me first because I didn't know this question was coming. Ah. Uh, sorry, you warned Joe, but you didn't warn me, which is typical for twins. Uh, do I have a message for everybody? I don't. I don't see myself as somebody who's so willing to or so deserving to give a message to everybody, but I will say that. Uh, I'm, you know, grateful to be part of the community still. And, um, you know, there is sometimes a lot of bickering among Shimu fans, but nobody bickers more with each other than family. And that sounds like a little bit cheesy cliche, and I'm fine with that. I don't care. But uh, I would say, you know, 50% of my friends on this planet to this right now in my life are people from the community. And uh, I, I don't I don't take that lightly. If it wasn't for Shinmo, if it wasn't for you, Suzuki, and his friends, uh, you know, sometimes he, he gets credit for everything, but uh, even some of his friends who I've made uh, relationships with, who I really appreciate, Harry Sum uh, in particular, and Ryochi and uh, Eric, uh, these people are my friends. And through Adam Sipian, Peter Campbell, Matthew Kilpatrick, James Reiner, Adam Korlick, these people who I've gotten to meet, there's many more, and uh, Richard, of course. I would say Richard, Joseph, and I, we just bounce stuff off of each other all the time uh, about, you know, music and having that in my life is very important to me. So uh, Shimu isn't just a game to me. The series isn't just a game. It is a personal uh, part of my life that takes up at least 50% of all things. And last thing I want to say is hello to my girlfriend, Shannon. Uh, she's going to listen to this and she's going to get mad if I don't say her name. So thanks, Shannon, for listening. <laughs> Brilliant. Joe, how would you top that? Uh, well, I was just thinking well, when he was talking about, I think Shinmu fans are getting older, but that should not, yeah. it should not mean that you should not still incorporate Shinmu into your life. 
I mean, I'm 41 and I could, I could care less what people think about me making these videos as a 41 year old uh, adult. Uh, I could care less. I mean, it's, it's, things have changed. It's uh, there's, I mean, just look at what's going on in the world. I mean, people are accepting that things are different and, and tradition is, is changing. And so um, I have no shame doing what I'm doing. I, I absolutely uh, enjoy doing it. I've traded the gym for the, these videos. Um, I wish COVID, well, I shouldn't say I wish COVID went longer, but I wish that, um, you know, I could continue to, to do this as much as I, uh, as I'm doing it currently, uh, but our business is starting to pick up again. So that's always good. But, but no, I mean, obviously the traveling like, went with Shimo. I mean, we went to every convention from GamesCon to the Tokyo Game Show, uh, Monaco, Magic Monaco, and met a lot of people. Uh, I mean, George named most of them, but a couple that I had met was like Cosman White. Uh, oh, you're joking. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Cosman's a, a great guy. I mean, him and I still talk once a month at least, and I always run, run my videos uh, through him prior to release. Uh, um, who else is there? Uh, Michael Pelosi in the Shimu gang, their videos, who did the last podcast, I believe. Oh, uh, gang entertainment, yeah. Yeah, yeah so. we, we, we've, we've got to know them. Uh, Farah Kima, is that, I always say his name incorrectly, but I, I ran into him in, in Monaco and I think somewhere else. Um, oh, Sam, Shimu Sam, who has his YouTube channel, who uh, yeah. music and a lot of uh, piano music towards Shimu music. And just, all these people are just, you know, really cool guys. And we, it's just awesome to meet other Shimu fans. Uh, it's just a, a great to come together and then make jokes based on Shimu that nobody else understands what you're talking about, or you'll randomly throw out a line from the, from the game. Like, uh, who's Jimenez, the first guy you arm wrestle when he yells the word holy, which is actually in my video when, uh, he's coming down the, the, uh, the ramp and that guy jumps out of the way. Who, by the way, doesn't do that. I actually had to rig that character for him to jump out of the way. Um, yeah, I, I incorporated that 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 yell that Jimenez makes in the beginning. Um, anyway, I do want to make an ex another video though of all the music. So my next one of my next videos will be like a, just the thirty-one songs, just the you know nothing else. And if someone wants to to download them, I can send them a zip file of all the songs. Uh, yeah, but that's all. That's all I got. We're also, we're also on Facebook too. If anyone ever wants to chat Shinmu sounds and be bored to death listening to me go on in hours about Shinmu sounds, uh, look, you know, reach out to us. We we love to talk about it. Great. Well, I'd love to get you guys back to talk about the sounds of Shenmue, Actually, do a specific podcast on that because I think there's so much we can talk about in terms of the music and how it's all put together. But for now, I'm going to say thank you for joining me on the dojo this evening. Um, as I say, I appreciate both you guys' time. And I'm going to end us with another one of your tracks. And actually, this is the battle scene from the Godhead Fortune Teller video, which has just been released. Um, I absolutely adore this song, actually. I, I, I was saying to Joe before the podcast that I, I must have this played um, on the show. So it's fantastic. It's a battle scene. And it, for me, it, it would fit a final boss. I love it. So that's going to play us out. Thank you, everybody, for taking the time to listen to me go on and on. And I will catch everybody again very, very soon. Thank you. Until